the political dark. From pavement to Parliament Street, this is your podcast from the York Politics Society. Hello and welcome back to the political dark, the York Politics Society's political podcast. My name's Lucy and I'm joined with Sam and today we're going to be chatting a little bit about British politics because one thing that I have learned in the last couple of weeks, Sam, is that British politics is moving pretty quickly. Yeah, but I mean, we've gone through a summer of, you know, things just basically being about COVID and now just, oh, there's just so much stuff going on. I mean, everywhere. It's crazy. It's been pretty wild and we had a few ideas planned and then just more and more things kept happening. So we've decided to make this podcast just a general chit chat about life, basically. Yeah, consider this your weekly therapy podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, shall we begin with the most important segment potentially. Sam, what the duck has been going on? Uh, right, so Andrew Neil has left uh, the glorious, uh, in heavy quotation marks, experiment, definitely experiment, GB News, uh, saying, I will let you draw your own conclusions about why he left. Um, well, the conclusions are that it was pandering to far-right propaganda and that sort of news network doesn't really work and it's in place where you got actually correct state news, Andrew Neil, the little hoblet, but hobbit. But um, yeah, the Court of Appeals has interestingly overturned a ruling limiting puberty blockers for under 16. So that basically means that they consider if you're under 16, you can give uh, consent to have puberty blockers, um, which yeah, is uh, obviously controversial and probably should be got into someone who knows more about this than I do. But um, yeah, at least someone I know who's a medic says it's a good thing. Um, the uh, Amber List has been scrapped by the UK for certain countries. So, you know, so things don't open up. We can actually go places. And um, on the sort of same elk, the uh, US has lifted its travel ban for Europe. Yeah. Um, Gavin Newsom won his uh, election, a recall election in California, which all uh, sort of two thirds of the votes. I mean, which a bit of a farce given that um, he, well, uh, Republicans didn't really even back a candidate. It was all just a bit silly PR stunt, to be honest. Yeah, the Irish president has refused to attend a ceremony commemorating the centenary of Nations Partition, which is definitely controversial because. Uh, firstly, he's he's like a state figure. He's not necessarily a political figure, mm-hmm. and he he's argued for reconciliation quite a lot in the past. So it was considered the uh, the British government was actually confused by it. National parliamentary elections were held in Russia. Huh. Take a yeah, you can take a wild guess how that happened. I don't think I really need to report. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah if anyone knows literally anything about Russia, is yeah that happened. Um, <laughs> The uh, SpaceX mission, which was the first to orbit the Earth with um, all amateur astronauts, and it successfully landed, which is sort of a, a big step for the space program. Um, you know, when we inevitably need to flee the Earth, uh, a US court has ruled that legal papers can now be served to Prince Nancy Andrew for his uh, impending trial. Yeah. The, can, uh, the Canadian elections have happened. Um, and Trudeau uh, won his third term with the exact, basically the exact same amount of seats he starts off with. So that was completely pointless. And it's just sort of made him look a bit worse. Um, and then sort of on a positive note, uh, Radhikanu won the US Open, which was, I mean, everyone knows that's just 
absolutely fantastic. I mean, I don't even like tennis when I was watching it. it just... I know. It was amazing. Like, I remember the next day I was walking along the seaside and like everyone was talking about it. So it's so exciting to have something good again, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, she's a positive story on just so many levels. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's great for tennis as well, just because, you know, it means that it's not the same three people all the time. You know, we've actually got some... And then a week or so later, she was at the Met Gala. So lots oh, yeah, of fun for little Emma. <laughs> yeah, busy girl. Um, yeah, and then sort of the two topics which probably should be podcast topics at some point but sort of need to be touched upon briefly. So obviously lots of stuff have happened in Afghanistan. Um, so the most recent ones, uh, the Women's Affairs Ministry has been shut down and replaced with the minister. Uh, with the um, Ministry of uh, Vice and Virtue, which used to be used to enforce strict um, constrictions on women's rights. And women are now also uh, banned from secondary schools. So, yeah, it's not, you know, Taliban haven't really changed, which I don't think anyone's really surprised about. Um, and the US government has admitted that the US Joe strike on the nation uh, was a mistake and it killed 10 civilians. So, yeah, I mean, you know, nothing's really changed there. They stay religious zealots in the US, stick with a moral and foreign policy, to be honest. Um, and then the, the other big thing is that the UK, the US, and Australia have agreed to share nuclear submarine secrets in a decision motivated by growing fears of China. Um, now, the interesting thing about it is probably how it's angered France because they had their own $90 billion contract with Australia. And they have now called back ambassadors from Australia and France. So this could be like a this could be a diplomatic situation. And especially given uh, Japan also have kind of started talking about it. And you know, it's, it's kind of a massive diplomatic implication, sort of fears of China, um, you know, viewing sides of China as a sort of more of an enemy and also just internal Western tensions. So yeah, that's that situation which is going to carry on yeah. occurring for quite a while, I feel. Of course, the main thing is about British politics, but because there's not really like a main topic here, it's just sort of going on. It, there's a, you almost see the entire identity of this is a, what the duck is going on. This is basically a what the duck is going on UK. <laughs> yeah, that is so true. So let's just dive into, I suppose. Westminster have been shaking things up, I think it's fair to say. Um, Let's begin by talking about that cabinet reshuffle that was going on. Lots happening there. First of all, the one that really kind of stood out for me was the fact that Gavin Williamson is out, completely out. Um, and I, as a student, my brother as an A-level student, I'm sure teachers far and wide, everyone won't particularly be surprised, won't particularly be upset about that. I definitely feel like the past year or so has been just so confusing in terms of like rules being put in so late that people can't even make decisions and, and make any firm plans in in the first place and then th those rules that were put in place eventually it just weren't even up to scratch anyway you know there was complete yeah lack of communication throughout the whole thing um so I'm not particularly surprised by his demotion yeah I mean I'm aware of you know being told by people work and you know not just York but various universities about how there was just you know in the the first A-levels post 
mm. uh, lockdown, which is the ones I did, and therefore the ones one I just remember more, yeah. and therefore also why I did not shed a tear about, the, about this news. Um, that um, there was just no communication with the universities about how they get allocated grades mm. and you know what they're going to be doing, and then you know basically no information about the U-turns. So universities were very much screwed over by his incompetence and just yeah, it was just a series of stupid decisions but you know what do you expect from a man whose main things were bringing Theresa May into power and having a pet tarantula so I don't even know he had a pet tarantula oh no, yeah no he was the um he was the whip in the day when David Cameron was prime minister mm. and he apparently had this pet tarantula which he used to keep on his desk as sort of a way of intimidating people <laughs> That's that's something out of a, a comedy film. Yeah, oh. no, he, he's genuinely from House of Cards. He's, <laughs> well, speaking of iconic figures, once again, Dominic Raab has moved from the very impressive role of Foreign Secretary to Justice Secretary and Deputy Prime Minister, which the Prime Minister was insistent that it isn't a downgrade, but I'm not going to lie to you, it feels like it. I imagine that after a lot of things recently, obviously particularly like the kind of Afghanistan handling, it feels to me that they kind of like need to move him out of the picture a little bit. And I feel like these roles are a good way to do that. And he still gets a bit of responsibility, but without the kind of um, the front page photos, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Especially, you know, when you look at previous deputy PMs, so Clegg and Prescott, who are probably the two most you know, notable deputy PMs were sort of people who they kind of had to be around, but they didn't really want them making any rash decisions, mainly, I guess, with Prescott and Fidley really punch someone else. But uh, yeah, then, um, but I think the one that's most interesting to look at with this is Jeffrey Howe, who was someone who was Chancellor, I think, originally, and then uh, got promoted to deputy PM as sort of a demotion, like traditionally, if you move someone to deputy PM, it's basically giving them a cushy ministerial job where you could sort of put them out of harm's way exactly other big news other headlines shall we say Liz Truss becoming the foreign secretary obviously taking over Dominic uh, the thing that I found really interesting about this was that she was she's a, she is the second woman to have this role but for some reason mm. the BBC kept saying that she was the first woman ignore and they after they found obviously found out they they kind of kept doing it for a little while after it was just really odd to me because I was like that's not factually correct and I don't really understand where they got those facts from in the first place you know what I mean I just found it a really kind of odd phenomenon, phenomenon. yeah I mean you wouldn't expect the BBC to basically get what let's be honest is a pub quiz question exactly wrong. I think they've corrected it now but still interesting the thing that really stood out for me in this whole kind of movement thing was it seems like there was a lot of moving around of people who were kind of quite deep in the organisation of some pretty important things. Like It feels like a bit of a, a weird reshuffle, a bit of a weird time for people who was picking a little bit weird. For example, Stephen Barclay moved from Chief Secretary of the Treasury a few weeks before the spending review on which he was quite deeply involved in. Anne-Marie Trevelyan moved to the trade secretary but she was deep like deep in a, a team preparing for the COP26 which is in a month or so something like that I can't even remember exact date it is but it's just all of these things it's just like these people and I think what it does is really sums up every reshuffle obviously has it where kind of people particularly like on Twitter and things like that you know start to say like 
how how can you move someone from one role to a completely different other and expect them to have the expertise to be able to handle that but also just like the practicalities of it like it just seems so just like un, yeah practical is a word it's not practical to be moving these people around they don't have any experience in these things and it just kind of questions the whole point of it every single time and I think that looking at these intricate moments of it just further um pushes that example if that makes sense I mean I guess the cynical way of looking at it is maybe that you know ministers don't actually mean that much you know but yeah. quite frankly the civil service stays the same and you know to quote yes minister ministers are like chairs they ever go round and round in circles or fold immediately <laughs> yeah I think what we're probably going to get into is that normally when you have a reshuffle it's more of a sort of vaguely it's, it's more of a statement than it is out to, you know, any actual belief that someone is better suited to a department or not. Definitely. And that's kind of what I was thinking as well, because I was saying, like, this doesn't seem to be a particularly ideological cabinet, if that makes sense. You know, like, a lot of time you look at it and you're like, oh, well, that that was a Brexit cabinet. You know, they're pushing for the kind of the Brexit idea or Mm. like that. I'm looking at this cabinet and I can't really give a label like that to it. I don't know what you think whether you think you know it does or well what I got from it is you know how do we deal with the kind of you know the mess of COVID and you know particularly the unpopularity that's from it and that you look at because I I think you know it's been a main thing of getting rid of the really unpopular people and putting in people who (laughs) at the very minimum you know, solidify the conservative base. And, you know, the main one looking at it is a lot of people were touting Patel to be shuffled out as well, but obviously she wasn't. And, you know, it's a question of why were Rob and uh, Williamson shuffled and Patel wasn't. And probably the main reason from that is that, although, you know, think what you will about Patel, and I definitely think a lot about Patel, um, she still does very well with the conservative base she you know her policies are very divisive but you know if you are a hardline tory you're not exactly going to hate them mm. um and you know another example of that is you know gove being put in put into a new role in the cabinet um who you know yeah i remember speaking to a uh, quite you know quite right-wing member quite right-wing conservative mp just after boris johnson was elected and you know, I was basically, you know, very polite terms, basically trying to scream and go, "What have you thinking?" Mm-hmm. And um, he basically said that, you know, ideally, Gove would be our prime minister, but Boris Johnson's the guy who wins elections. So that kind of shows that Gove is Gove is someone who's very popular mm-hmm. with those people. And then looking at the other side, the more sort of national version of it, uh, the main guy to look at is as uh, name I'm going to. Um, Nadim uh, Zahawi, who has been moved to education, um, and he was the vaccine minister. Um, and, you know, we've all seen at least one statement from, from number 10, and, you know, the vaccine rollout is the one thing they really want to stress um, about their sort of, about success in coronavirus, particularly ideologically. Boris Johnson said, I can't, I, I'm not going to say whether he, if he said or not, because I don't know if it was a on the record quote, but that um, greed and capitalism fix COVID, which um, was this idea that, you know, 
government organization and business innovation was the key for uh, the successful distribution of vaccine. Um, so yeah, bumping up people involved in the vaccine is going to be, um, you know, it's definitely a kind of showing, you know, that's the thing they want to stress and, you know, hence why he's probably got the reward. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not, you know, ideological in, you know, the way the last cabinet reshuffle was, for instance, but um, yeah, it's definitely appealing to a certain position. It's an interesting one. And obviously along uh, kind of prefaced, prefaced even by other things going on in Westminster, uh, notably for me, obviously, like the national insurance rise uh, that's been put in place. It's 1.25% rise, I think. I found it quite interesting because Johnson kind of said beforehand, it was like, you know, no one can, it, no one could have expected the pandemic, which is a very fair statement. And yeah. having to pay back, obviously, the expenditures of the past 18 months is also a fair thing that might, you know, have to be done at some point. The way that they're doing it however I would argue is definitely not a fair idea um you know, obviously we're a podcast based in a university a lot of listeners would be our demographic as well but it definitely does seem to be something that is going to be hurting young people entering the world of work a lot more than those who are in a bit more of a secure position you know and it, it feels quite like a lot of the time we we keep getting these things and there's nothing we can do about it and it just keeps like coming and coming you know um but there, there are some interesting things that that come out of this um it's advertised obviously it's called I think the health and social care levy but I was doing some research it's quite interesting that and then obviously this happening alongside cuts to universal credit in Keir Starmer's words it was a double whammy for the working class um this the whole thing it feels quite yeah quite um I'm not a pessimist about things in general but it does feel a bit like just things keep coming you know mm, well I am a pessimist and uh, yeah. <laughs> I think this is probably where I gear up so um yeah I think the interesting thing about that one is that the uh UN envoy on human rights uh called it unconscious uh unconscionable and um, stated that it was a breach of human rights to do this. Isn't that um, I think, you know, it, it's a situation where there, you know, I don't want to conservative MPs and conservative members to come from a wide range of economic backgrounds, but you do sometimes feel that they don't really understand what, like a, what, what could be considered, you know, a small cut to universal credit, what the actual impacts are. Yeah. So, you know, it's 500,000 more people in poverty, of which 200,000 are children. Uh, and it's uh, and it's also affects the incomes of 1.7 million people who are unable to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, it reflects, I feel, you know, if, if we're going to try and link this all together, you know, the main theme is that the government want to move on from coronavirus and they want to, uh, yeah, kind of pass this new kind of, economic growth uh try and heal but the reality is that the impacts of the coronavirus are going to be felt for a really long time mm-hmm. um you know the issue with the economic crack uh the issue is, is that you know it's really hinders the economy and there is probably another economic crash to follow um and you know this has had impacts on people's uh 
livelihoods, uh, quite frankly, you know, we're not exactly in a wild hiring market at the moment. So the idea, you know, you know, I didn't necessarily agree with it, but Osborne, you know, talking about incentivizing people to go and get employment, you know, well, what happens when there aren't really people hiring? Mm. And also, you know, it's interesting, you said uh, under 50, so the main people that are going to be hurt by the national insurance rise, when actually the pe- people of higher incomes and, you know, you know, generally over 50s is when you're going to start to have those uh, higher incomes have actually kind of benefited from the coronavirus in a weird way because they haven't been going out and spending as much money, which means there's been a lot more in savings. So wealth disparity is going to be a lot more because, you know, there's people who've been furloughed and therefore hit. And then people who, you know, have had steady employment, you know, if you're, if you're working in the financial sector, for instance, then you didn't really need to come in to job, but you're still being paid full time. Um, and yeah, so, you know, it's hitting the working classes when wealth disparity is already going to be increased, which I think is enough of a pessimistic ramble for me, but uh, yeah, it's just yeah. my general take on it. No, that, I mean, that is really interesting. It kind of does all link together. And obviously we did a whole podcast episode in itself about kind of the, what we think is going to kind of happen in the aftermath of the pandemic, if you like, obviously we're not out the other end, but it definitely does feel that those steps are being starting, are starting to happen, you know, and things are starting to kind of crystallize as to what the government see a future after the pandemic to be and whether that's a future that looks particularly appealing. Um, I yeah. think, I think we've made it clear in the podcast already what we think of that. I mean, the interesting thing as well, though, I guess, is that naturally the cabinet, you know, key members who are still in the cabinet, they're quite free market oriented. You know, I've talked about Boris Johnson's comments about why, how the vaccine worked, but also uh, key members, you know, Javid uh, has spoken about his admiration of Ayn Rand and uh, Rishi Sunak, who, you know, is the chancellor, uh, has spoken very positively of um, neoliberal solutions to problems and um, you know, particularly about the tax cuts. Um, and it all shows that, you know, what, what we got with the furlough scheme and uh, was very much a temporary measure. And, you know, what we're seeing at the moment is more how they want to deal with it. You know, they want less benefits and they want, you know, obviously taxes have gone up a bit, but in the long-term tax cuts, we're not going to see, you know, a, Keynesian solution to the long-term impacts of coronavirus is going to be quite a free market-oriented idea. Okay, shall we head to the very important time of the episode to present some awards? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Political Duck Awards. Yes, so I'm not going to do the accents for this, but uh, if people are aware of their 80 sitcom references, the uh, Did I Do That Award goes to Russia, uh, the, I guess the entire nation of Russia, for, you know, only a few people have got this award before, I thought we'd give an entire nation it, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, for the uh, European uh, the European Court of Human Rights, uh, finding res- Russia responsible for the poisoning of uh, Litvinenko in 2006 
and a third uh, Russian being named in the Salisbury poisoning in the space of two days. What's going on? Lots yeah, of I mean, just, you know, it's very much they've been called in by the boss and they're slapping them with all the paperwork. Definitely. It's not a good time for them, but you might say it is a good time because now they have won a prestigious political duck award. So swings and roundabouts, guys, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, even though, uh, I guess... We are seeing a full a decline in popularity of the Putin government and the Communist Party on the rise again in Russia. They won 19% of the vote in the most recent election. But um, yeah, interesting. I mean, Russia's never calm. You never talk about stability in Russia. Russia is <laughs> Russia's Russia. But uh, no, uh, now at least, you know, in this turmoil, they can add the stability of a very lovely award. I guess we can give them give it to them in some state ceremony play the national anthem or something go to moscow exactly yeah i'm excited i've booked the ticket already yeah yeah i wonder if putin could present it uh, whilst topless on a horse or something (laughs) (laughs) oh god now i've got that image scarred in my head again okay thank you sam i think that will probably sum up today's episode perfectly we will end on that brilliant note uh this is probably my last episode but i'm sure you'll be back soon with even more exciting debate. So. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. So, uh, but yeah, uh, th- uh, thank you, Lisa, for sort of everything you've done with the podcast and you know the whole rebrand and everything. I guess. And <laughs> I love a rebrand. Uh, yeah. So uh, we will, we will miss you for the political mm-hmm. dark. But yeah. Uh, well, thanks everyone for listening, and we will be back soon.